Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence, CC with BB 2.0. Yes, I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. If you wish to support us here at Connecting with Coincidence, please like us and subscribe to our podcast on both YouTube and Anchor FM and other outlets. Increasing subscriber numbers increases our reach. And those of you watching us on YouTube, write us one of your coincidence stories in the comments section. We will reply. Standard scientific beliefs about reality have a firm hold on the minds of the world. For many reasons, the materialistic way of thinking about reality is deeply fixed by emotion and the fear of change. What if weird stuff happens to you? What then? Our guest today shows us one way to manage the cognitive dissonance, the gap between what we are taught and what we experience. Most of us who go through this with synchronicity have to persevere through a period of wondering whether or not we're crazy. One solution is to investigate. Our guest did a lot of investigating and wrote a book to help her understand all this apparent weirdness. She found it's not so weird. In fact, coincidences are quite common. Denise Thompson Slaughter is a writer and retired academic editor living in the Rochester, New York area. She has been curious about the nature of reality and the limits of the current materialistic scientific paradigms since she was six years old and experienced something no one could explain to her. More unexplainable experiences led her to finally research and write about these experiences in her new book, Explaining the Coincidence Closet, Exploring the Inexplicable. Cleaning the Coincidence Closet. Well, cleaning the coincidence project is a closet is better, but I got this off of what you sent me, I think. Um, so cleaning the coincidence, pro I like exploring the coincidence closet. Uh, it's because uh, that's what you've done. You've taken it out and looked at the stuff in there. And that's what's so cool about this. But we needed to correct that. I didn't like it either. Cleaning, uh, cleaning the coincidence project. Denise closet <laughs> cleaning the coincidence closet okay you got that ladies and gentlemen cleaning the coincidence cleaning the coincidence closet exploring the inexplicable denise has a degree in english from rutgers university and is also the author of a mystery novella and three books of poetry welcome to the show denise thank you it's good to have you and uh, i i got to you because uh, you sent me your book and uh, very much appreciate your having done that because uh, it's got a lot of a lot of you in there and a lot of other and a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of exploring you did a lot of uh, work in putting this thing together uh, it took you quite a bit of time and you you tr you had to educate yourself about a lot so why don't we start where i like to start with people denise tell us a story okay um, in 1990, my mom uh, was in home hospice care, and I spent the last two months of her life with her. Um, one day, uh, I was reading their local newspaper, and uh, this is just was a very small paper, came out twice a week had maybe six pages. Where was this? This was outside of Annapolis. So this was the Annapolis paper. And uh, 
I was drawn up short. I would no never normally look at the obituary page. I think it came out once a week, but I was, there was this big picture at the top of the page of this lovely young woman. And I recognized her as someone we had met uh, in mom's oncology doctor's office a year earlier. And uh, she had introduced herself to us. She was uh, trying, trying to drum up support for support groups for cancer patients. And she was uh, very vivacious and young and healthy looking. And my mom just couldn't believe that she had serious cancer. But I believed it because cancer affects everyone. But uh, I never thought that she would die before mom. And uh, so there was her picture in the obituaries. And, um, you know, I was struck by that. But because I was looking at that page, I glanced down the bottom and just was, had chills up and down my spine because there was my mother's name on the obituary page. Um, same, her first name was Vivian. Same spelling, the French spelling, which is fairly unusual in this country. Uh, and her last name and um, also, which startled me, is that they did something that you don't usually see in an obituary, at least not nowadays, is they said where she lived, like the 2000 block of thus and such street. And that was two blocks away. So it was just two blocks away from where your mother lived. Yes. So that was just so eerie. It I didn't tell my mother, uh, but it was uh, when you really when, when you saw that when you saw that, um, and you've had uh, numerous weird experiences in your life. Why don't you tell us more about what went on inside of you besides uh, that it, it was eerie? I, it was upsetting. I thought it might mean something. Um, I thought. You know, at first I thought, oh, maybe it's a mistake, but how, how could it be a mistake? Um, we had no idea there was somebody with the same name living two blocks away from her. And um, it just, it shook me up. It, it was like a sign of something. And right. indeed, it, 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 it would seem to me, even though it's hard for you to say it, it's a sign that your mother's going to die soon. Yes, that's, that's what that and that that was the case. I mean, two weeks later, I had to put my mother's data on the obituary page. Yeah. Now, much of what you write about um, is precognitive, uh, yes. precognitive experiences, and one of the things I've found uh, talking to a lot of people is uh, is that people tend to specialize in kinds of coincidences they experience. Uh, I tend to be a generalist, which need to be for doing what I'm doing, but it's uh, here you are a precognitivist, I would say. Um, it's, it's, and this is an example of that. So what, what is it with you and precognition? And let's start with your mother and the newspaper article, but how, how ha have you come to explain uh, this ability you have uh, that somehow hit you somehow? Uh, how do you explain that now? You've, you've, in the later part of your book, you talk a lot about explanations, a whole bunch of ways of thinking about things. But how about for you, your mother, and the other, pre and other precognitive experiences of yours? Well, most of them come to me in dreams. And I think that in dreams, we're sort of taken out of the flow of time. I, I mean, the quantum physicists insist that there's that time is an illusion and that everything is really happening all at once. It's just our limited viewpoint that makes it seem like it's one thing after another. Um, 
it's hard to understand that. I have hard time understanding it, but it's kind of funny. I, I would say that I'm a little bit loose in time, maybe. Um, <laughs> I've always had trouble with time. My husband could tell you, I never have any concept of what time it is. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe some people are just a little bit less immersed in time than others. Um, I'm reminded of the Kurt Vonnegut story, you know, Slaughterhouse-Five, Billy Pilgrim was always going back and forth between, I think it was the 60s and, and uh, his PTSD experiences in, in World War II. Um, so I, that that's the only thing I can think of, and and people do who seem to have, you know, slightly different. I don't know if you'd call them talents or um, perceptual abilities. Um, for instance, my brother saw ghosts. I've never been able to see a ghost, but I have heard them. Um, you know, some people are are good healers. Some people are more. Uh, have more ESP ability. I, I just think we have uh, a whole a whole menu of of things that don't quite fit into the the standard scientific paradigm. Oh, no question about it. And you've gotten in and you've gotten into that with your book, and not just about precognition, but also about other things that other experiences uh, beyond uh, precognition or aside from precognition, uh, generally parapsychological things we might call them. But yes, we have, we have different predispositions and we come with them. And uh, that now becomes uh, almost evident for those of us looking at uh, coincidences more generally. If the question is about you, uh, Denise Thompson Slaughter, what's with you? I mean, you had to write a book to understand this. You were driven to like, this is too weird. I've got to have some idea about me. You did this for you as well as your audience. That's right. And That's right. I, 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 I'll, I'll leave you alone about this, but, I th but you really went after it. And I, I respect you for that. And you've written a lot about that. And you've tried to understand your precognitive abilities. To say that you just came with them and like you're, like other people have them would not be enough of an answer for me seeing how much work you put into what you've done. You really have. And maybe that's as far as you've gotten. But I'd like, I'd like to think that all this work has has gone beyond Denise Thompson Slaughter being uh, kind of loose in time and having a special capacity. Well, I'm very curious. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I've always been fascinated by these things. I, I don't know what to tell you, but I wanted to, you mentioned earlier, pe when people start having these experiences, they often think they're going crazy. And that was true for me. And I was, you know, I was worried. Um, I, I needed to see for myself that I wasn't going crazy. And I needed to see other that other people had had these experiences and, and that uh, even there were even some scientists who could start explaining them in, in different ways, yeah. based often on quantum physics. Well, I, I, what you've just told me uh, is true, very true, as you heard me say that you start thinking you're crazy. And this is one way of not thinking you're crazy by finding out that other people experiencing them. And I'll, I'll leave the question there. But part of uh, part of what I'm doing is trying to understand the nature of reality, which is what you wrote about yourself, trying to understand the nature of reality. And I continue to be curious about what's going on here because I had this idea that they're not telling me something. <laughs> they ain't telling me something. I got I got to figure this out here. 
so I got into this whole thing because to me, coincidences generally are clues to how reality works. Yes. So I'm so here's a woman who's got a lot of precognitive experiences. She's got some clues here. And, uh, you know, I maybe you, you'll think about this later, but the elasticity of time and not just quantum physicists, but but mystics have said the same thing. It's be here now has been around for a while. It's all now. I had one experience of the endless, endless now uh, for a, like a, a few minutes or a few oh. minute or so. It just went forever in all directions. Is it eternity or is it infinity? Uh, it's a different ways of talking about it. It was more like infinity. Uh, rather than eternity, but they become somewhat similar. They are different when you start getting into them. And that was just, it went out from my eyes like this. And I've seen other people write about that, just like went on all, all, all forever, really. And for and infinitely. So I, I've had that experience. And that what we need in this reality is three dimensional thinking to survive on Earth. It's been necessary to get along here. But we have these other capacities and you have a key one, which among the parapsychological things is a, a de more debatable because how do you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a lot of questions about precognition that are, are we, we're not going to try to get into at least right now. But you, you, let me say, are an expert in precognition simply because you've had a lot of them. Well, it's and not always a good thing. I mean, <laughs> there are people who hate it, precognition. What do I do about it when I figure out that that right. mother across the street's going to have her child run over by a car and I see it? Is it true? Do I, is it going to happen? And then it happens and you feel guilty. There's a lot of problems with people who have precognitions. Yeah. What have they? What have they? What kinds of problems have you run into with your precognitive ability? Um, mostly, people tend to think of me as a Cassandra. I think, you know, I'm often. Uh, concerned that something bad is going to happen and people are just like oh you're such a pessimist but I'm not really a pessimist um, in many ways I'm an optimist but um, I, I don't know I the whole COVID thing I mean I was so upset months before COVID came to the U.S. because I knew it was coming and I knew it was going to be bad and people were saying oh you know every People die from the common, the the common flu every year, and you know, a thousand people die from this or that every year. It's, uh, and it, I was saying, no, it's going to be, it's going to be like the nineteen eighteen epidemic, and people were saying, no, we have better medicine than you know, and I was. Um, and I, you know, I often have dreams where I'm trying to warn people about things. And of course, not all the dreams come true, but like I'll, you know, I'll have a dream about, um, dream about uh, a tsunami and, you know, a day or two later, there's a tsunami somewhere or I'll have a dream about tornadoes and that's, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that they all necessarily come true, but it's, it's not helpful to have these dreams and worry about them and not know where it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. Which means so, not being able to do anything about it. Right, exactly. Uh, and the tsunami one is, yeah, and the, and the um, COVID is another that are beyond your capacity, you just knew they were coming. That's one thing. And, and the important, one of the most important thing you have alluded to and what you just said was that you not all of them come true. Right. That's one of the most important ideas there that all of them come true. And what I've liked when I've heard people talk about precognitive capacity is that they are probability estimates. Yeah, they are. The, the, there's an increased likelihood that this is going to happen. What do you think of that? I, I think that's true. Um, and, you know, a lot of people would say, and they might be right, that um, you're just working these things out in your subconscious and they're, you're calculating the probabilities and then it 
it goes to your forebrain or something. And, you know, it was a logical prediction. Um, that that's perfectly possible. Um, I, I do tend to think of myself as a synthesizer. I, you know, I read avidly and I'm interested in lots of different subjects and maybe I'm putting all these things together in my head and projecting. Um, I don't know. There's a way in which you describe this that makes me think, yes, you have to have previous information. For example, you have to be breathing, that helps. And you have to be alert, <laughs> you have to be alert. <laughs> and you like to read. So you have to be synthesizing information. But the way you describe it, I mean, let me see the way you seem to experience it is that it's more than just the accumulation of synthesized information. There's some other form of information that gets into the synthesizing capacity you have. Yeah, hey, uh, and certainly some cases couldn't possibly be synthesized. I mean, you know, I, I had this terrible fear that a friend of mine was going to die and I, had no reason to think that and no, no reason to, to know why, but you know, it happened and there was nothing I could do to stop it. There's a cat named Oscar or Felix, I forget the cat's name and there are other ones. You know that one? Yeah. Tell us, in, tell in, us. Uh, nursing homes, right? Yes, or yes. Tell, us, tell us about that. Uh, I think Oscar is right. Um, the cat, uh, is attracted to people who are on the verge of death. And he will, if somebody is about to die, this Oscar will go up, jump in their bed, curl up with them and, and stay with them till they die. Um, that can be interpreted a lot of ways. Uh, I like to think that Oscar is aware of the light opening up for that person, that, 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 the, that the passageway to, to the next dimension is is opening, and cats can see see well beyond what we can see. Their range of vision is is astonishing. Um, they can see electricity. They can. So I think that um, and lots of animals can see electromagnetism. I think that that that's how Oscar is aware. And maybe he just likes that light. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it gets it gets him closer to the light. Yes, <laughs> gets him closer to the light. Yes. Well, how about you? Are you like Oscar, when you were able to say that somebody's going to die? He... I hope not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I maybe i mean i i don't particularly like it but um you know sometimes i i feel like i've um i've been there when people died um when my my dad died i um my brother and sister-in-law told me it was not you know, it was not a rush. It was not immediate, but I should come down. Uh, I was living 200 miles away. And uh, so I got there and my sister-in-law picked me up and she said, are you hungry? I said, I'm starving. And I, she said, okay, you want to go to this Chinese restaurant? I said, sure. And, uh, you know, we had a nice lunch and then we went to the hospital and the the nurses were like, oh, thank God you're here. You know, we thought he wasn't going to make it. Um, and uh, I sat with my dad and I held his hand and I wasn't there half an hour before he passed. And they, they kept saying, he was waiting for you. He was waiting for you. And of course, if I'd known he was waiting for me, I would not have stopped for lunch. But, you know, they didn't. I guess my brother and sister-in-law didn't want to alarm me too much. And so they didn't tell me how close to death he was, but um, there was that. And, you know, I was with my mother when she died. I was with 
I saw my brother the night before he died. Um, he never became conscious again after that. Um, and um, we were with our son when he died, uh, which I'm thankful for because I would have felt terrible if I wasn't with him. But yeah, I sometimes that bothers me that I, I seem to be like the last person people see before they die. Wow. Um, I just felt a lot of emotions listening to you and telling about that. Uh, sadness was preeminent. Yeah. In there. No, I wonder if there's a, such a, there, there are midwives to, to bring new life into the world. Sometimes I worry that, you know, I'm like the opposite of that, that I'm, I'm there to accompany people out of the world. I, but, you know, that's, that's probably a gross exaggeration. I mean, it's not that many people, but still it's, it's very, it's very upsetting and it leaves me upset for quite a while afterwards. Um, uh, it's it, you're beginning to sound a lot like Oscar, um, but reluctantly so. Yeah. Um, the impact on you afterwards. Tell us about that, please. I have mixed feelings. Um, in a in a way, you know, you want to be there to say goodbye, but in a way, it's very upsetting to be there and and to feel like they were just waiting for you um, so that they could leave. Uh, and I have, um, I have gone, I did go to a medium after my son died, somebody that a friend of mine recommended and made an appointment for me so that the medium didn't know anything, didn't even know my name, didn't, there was, you know, my husband always says, oh, they can look you up uh, on the internet nowadays and know everything about you. But um, I was very careful. She didn't even know my name before I came. She didn't know anything about me, didn't have my phone number. And uh, <clears throat> she gave me messages from my son, but also from my brother who had, who wanted to thank me um, for helping him cross, for being there and um, easing, easing his fears of death. And, and I did, I had read that you, you should tell people there's nothing to be afraid of that they can't do anything wrong, that they're safe, that it's going to be fine and that they're loved. And so that's what I did. And this medium told me that it meant a tremendous amount to him because he had been terrified and I didn't know that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to go through. It is. Midwife for the dying. Well, I wanted to pause just uh, in memory of your loved ones, because uh, that's what we're doing right now, is, uh, is remembering them, um, remembering you with them. Uh, and being able to conceptualize, at least with your brother, uh, his passage from this life to the next. The heaviness in your soul that I experience talking with you, hearing you, is still pretty pronounced, uh, I feel. Uh, it's the difficulty for you um, in doing this. It, it seems to be... Um, I don't know, at least regarding your family, a calling of your role in this family. Um, that's what it sounds like to me. 
That's kind of weird because when I was young, I was the black sheep of the family. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, it, at, on the one hand, it feels good to be able to help people, but I kind of wish it was a, a more of a healer, uh, more of a <laughs> an up roll. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this dead stuff anymore. Get me out of here. <laughs> right. I, I want to see him get better. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what you're talking about. Uh, well, I'm. I have to ask whether you ask, because I am asking. Uh, who's going to be there for you? Yeah, I I do ask that. I do. Um, I don't know. Well, that that leads to a feeling of uh, isolation and aloneness. Uh, well, I, I'm hoping that my husband is going to outlive me. <laughs> so, yeah, well, uh, one of my favorite lines is this: the, the husband and wife are they're on the older side are talking about uh, death uh, of one of them, and and he says, uh, after one of us dies, I'm going to Paris. <laughs> Yeah. we we tend to think it's going to be somebody else and we all have that in us um but it ends up being us sometimes uh you and you you hope your husband will outlive you and that he'll be there with you to help you go through this there's something here that uh that, oh, let's extend the question uh have you been let me call it a midwife for the dying um with other people other outside of your family no no okay there's a there's a kind of a precognitive thing you have with family members and i i, I think you you've told me that uh, that there have been other instances with family members of strange experiences they happen a lot with family members could you tell us some about some of the other ones um yeah i think it's uh because of the brain's electrical field. I mean, people don't know the brain has an electromagnetic field that works um, zero to a hundred cycles per second. And, and I think that, that when we grow up around people, I think we learn to recognize their subconsciously, uh, just like, you know, if you smell the perfume your grandmother used to wear or the cigars your grandfather used to smoke or something, you would automatically associate them. I think that um, we can pick up on our relatives, especially when they're in distress. And uh, there was a period of my life when um, I was living in New Jersey and my parents were in Maryland and Sometimes I wake up with a headache, which would be weird because I never get headaches or a backache, which I had never gotten backaches before. And, um, you know, I get, or, you know, an upset stomach, I get these weird symptoms. And then that day or a couple days later, I talked to my mom on the phone and she'd say, oh, your dad hurt his back putting in the air conditioner, or your dad's got a terrible headache, or your dad's got an upset stomach. And I, as soon as she said that, as soon as I knew that it was my dad's pain and not mine, it would go away. I would, I would be fine. And that was just so strange to me. <laughs> um, and, and why my dad, why did I not feel it with other family members? it's you know we we weren't like this we we had sort of fought through the 60s you know so um i don't know it's, it's well, you, you don't have to know i'll tell you um that uh, i call this simulpathity the experience of the pain of the loved one at a distance simulpathity feeling the pain around sure. the same time and there's a 
It happened with me when my father, um, 3,000 miles away, you've seen it in my book. Yes. Uh, I was choking. He was dying, choking on his own blood. And right. it was more choking than I've ever done before. So I said, hey, wait a minute, there's something going on here. And looked at uh, Ian Stevenson's uh, work on the subject uh, called Telepathic Impressions. And there's a lot of stories like this. Uh, so what I'm looking for is what you're starting to say is that we have um, energetic uh, vibrational, um, um, let me say, pathways or, or, or it's a narrow thing for each person, uh, what, yeah. that, what that electromagnetic thing is. I'm very much interested in uh, interpersonal energy, the picking up energy between and among people. Uh, I, I wrote a post called Chi Whiz, C-H-I, Chi Whiz, uh, looking at interpersonal energy, because Chi and energy have something to do with each other in some Eastern thought. And what is it? I can see it between people in the present. Visually, you can see it? Sometimes I can see it, but more I can feel it. Man, but I can see it. I can see. I can see an expl explanation between vibrational capacities uh, mixing with each other. Like uh, I know somebody who who I didn't do this, but I kind of agree with her. She like touches my energy field and says it's the same thing. Hers and mine are the same. Oh, and we didn't know each other. I mean, we different. But uh, well, anyway, that she and I can feel that. Um, that it's the same. And she just laughs about it. She just touches me over this, but not touching me, it the same thing. So it's like, that is a form of what you're talking about. But I am not, I'm not clear how it happens at a distance. And I wonder if you could comment on that. I have trouble, I have trouble at a distance, like with your father in the backache. Yeah. And twins, a lot of yes. twins, a lot of twin stories. Uh, they, they're on the same wavelength. <laughs> they're on the same at at a distance. So that's yeah. how do you how do you conceptualize that wavelength resonating with each other at a distance? Well, just think about all the waves that are going through the air that we can't see. I mean, we've got TV, we've got radio, we've got cell phones, we've got uh, you know all kinds of stuff. And these waves are there anyway, but we have learned to put information on them so the information can travel on the wave to the right receiver. And I think that, you know, it's almost like a radio that we each have our own little wavelength and anybody who's tuned into that wavelength could theoretically pick up on it, although they're probably not interested. It's probably subconscious background noise. But if it's a family member, if or if it's somebody in extreme emotional, even a stranger in extreme emotional distress, I think that we can pick up on it. We can accidentally tune into their channel. Um, <laughs> I, I, like, I like you and this woman who said you had the same energy. I mean, oh, do it in the same room. Yeah, but not at a distance. It's the distance thing that's Look the how question. far cell phone signals go. Well, other people have thought the same thing you thought, and me too. And then they're able to block any electromagnetic with lead shields and other ways, put, put them down at the bottom of an ocean, and still the connections are able to be made. And hmm. that's- That's interesting. That, yeah, that, I found that quite interesting. In, in my new book coming out, hopefully next year. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I have a, um, I have a section uh, where I review that. And because like it's, it shouldn't be given the way you and I are just thinking here. We should be able right. to- I mean, it, you should be able to block it with a Faraday cage or something. That's what they talk about and they do block it with a Faraday cage, but it doesn't, it, it still gets, something still gets through, information still gets through. That's, that's the key I'm trying to make. That's yeah. fascinating. So what is it? Well, I talked to a guy who won't, wouldn't tell me anymore because he thought the 
government was spying on him, and they may have been, he had a way of explaining this with, uh, with waves that are different from the way we usually think about waves. Now, I, he's lost to my connection. I can't tell you. I just talked to him once at a conference in Las Vegas, and that was like, that was it. But there's a clue. There's something going on. I agree with you in the radio thing. I like that analogy at a distance, and though you've added cell phones and other things. So there's something that we agree with, but it's been tested in a way that suggests no, it's something else than standard electromagnetic. But there's wow. still something appealing about the way you and I putting information on the waves, great way of saying it. So there's something, there's something here as trying to get to the explanation, the twins at a distance. There's something resonating, similar vibration. I, there's something there, but we have to be a little more scientific in being able to go from the analogy you're talking about and I'm talking about, the cell phone thing, yeah. to what's really going on. And that is a clue to how reality works that I want to be able to explore with other people, um, including you. I think you've got some good ways of thinking about things. Um, we're getting somewhat near the end, maybe we have about 10 minutes left. Um, and one of the things that you've told us is that um, you think there are reasons for the variability and the frequency of some of the things that happen to you, some of the weird coincidences that happen to you. Could you tell us about how you think changes in your life, uh, life experiences and other things influence the frequency? Yeah, I don't know why, but I think, um, well, you nailed it in your book. It's um, emotion plus transition plus seeking. Uh, the times that I've had the greatest number of unusual things happen in my life have been either around the death of somebody, my own life transitions, um, or, or a need for something. Um, and I also found that um, if I, which I haven't been doing lately, but if I meditate regularly, daily for months, then, then things, all kinds of things bloom. <laughs> um, but that's good to know because sometimes if you feel overwhelmed, it's good to cut back a little bit on the meditation. And, <laughs> you know, I've got to focus on this life, this thing that I'm doing now. And, and I don't want to be distracted by coincidences. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think that, that those things, things are there for us when we ask for them sometimes. And uh, I, I didn't, you, you have time for one more quick story? Go ahead. I just thought of this last night and I thought, I can't believe I didn't put this in the book because it, it's true, it happened. Um, I used to, to work uh, when I was in my early 20s, I had a job at a postal facility and on the overnight shift. So I go to work about 1030 at night. I had to work from 11 to seven in the morning. And uh, I didn't have a car that summer, and, but fortunately I was like a mile and a half from work. So I walked um, and I was walking down this, uh, this residential street. It was a long street, but it was a residential street. I thought that would be fairly safe. And, um, but when I was walking, this car full of probably drunk guys pulled up four guys in a car and they were like, hey, you want to ride? And I'm like, no, thank you. And I kept walking and they kept following me very slowly next to me. And then they said, sure, you want to ride? Of course you want to ride. And they stopped the car. Two big guys got out of the back of the car and they were about to force me into the car. And I was like looking for the nearest house to run to. And this was before cell phones, of course. And uh, just then these headlights pulled up behind them and stopped. And 
I looked and it was a police car <laughs> and I couldn't help but laughing. And I said, if I were you, I'd get in, get in the car and get out of here before that policeman throws handcuffs on you. <laughs> and at first they were like, yeah, right. Yeah. And then they saw it really was a policeman. And, and I just, thank you, God, because this was unbelievable that a policeman would just pull up on a deserted street at night and be right there for me. And, uh, you know, he said, were they bothering you? And I said, yeah, they were trying to force me into the car and he took off after them. But talk about, you know, a, a coincidence when there's a great need <laughs> for it. That reminds me of stories where some somebody shows up right when somebody needs that person yes and nobody around saw that person or the person just disappears yeah you've heard those too i've heard those too they're yeah. kind of scary but yeah in a good way <laughs> yeah. well there that means there's something going on here but here you actually had a real person in a cop car it would seem uh well, yeah you way to me and it looked that way to those young men so and, it, and you told them i love that that you said you better get out of here before that handcuffs get on you uh i how do you i mean i know it's hard but how do you explain that one i don't i mean it's it's part of the mystery of all this coincidence stuff it there's something else going on. There's something else going on. Hey, I, I agree with that. <laughs> hey, there is some, Denise told me there's something else going on. You know, I'm a, I'm with her on that one. There's something else going on. <laughs> you know. That's the that's whole idea of this stuff. It's right. like, there's right. something else going on. And what we do is what you did, which was say, thank God it happened. We, we, th we thank the inexplicable. Right. <laughs> what is that? Or a lot of people do the universe was helping me. Right. We, we, we want to have a sentence that is explanatory. <laughs> right. Or, you know, some people would say your dead relatives are looking out for you. You know, you've got a guardian angel. You, your, your mom is looking out for you, whatever, or God is looking out for you. Angels are looking out for you. The universe is looking out for you. Um, I liked the quote, uh, one of the physicists that I quote in my book um, said, you know, that it could be that the universe itself is conscious. It could be um, universal consciousness. It could, we don't know what it is, but we might as well call it God. <laughs> Uh, God is um, an explanation that is beyond explanation right now. Right. Uh, and lightning uh, and thunder were beyond explanation also. Uh, yes. But we're able to show how lightning and thunder were related to each other. It wasn't just somebody, Zeus or somebody throwing light, lightning bolts. Right. Uh, or the could, angels bowling, which is I, what I was told as a child. I, I, I was told it was it's a lady upstairs. <laughs> And we lived in a duplex with people upstairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was told. Very noisy lady upstairs. Very noisy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we want explanations. And so we go for God, and then that, there's a lot of other stuff that can follow from that. But I want to break it down into the possibility of, of guardian angels, our higher selves, or something... Right. Uh, or, or perhaps um, deceased relatives watching out for us. Uh, I, th I think we have to consider those possibilities because you, like you had a medium tell you about your, about your son and your brother talking to you. So there's something else going on around here that is more conceptualizing, more conceptual than God, which is beyond uh, our conceptualization currently and will be for quite a long time because we are so limited. And we can experience something that's we call, but that's another question. So I want to be able to, to say that maybe there are some things where people are watching out for you, some something like that. Yeah. So we're coming to the end. And my last question 
for you, Denise Thompson Slaughter, is um, who is the author of Cleaning the Coincidence Closet. Uh, trying to explain the inexplicable as well, say the last part of it, uh, what's what you're trying to do. Why do you use the word coincidence in your book when so much of it's precognitive? Well, that's a fair question. I, when I started the book, I was thinking about coincidences. Um, and I had, I had read a quote somewhere um, I think it was Joseph Gudevich who started out, who was a, who, who was a, I forget what his, his academic specialty was, but he started out not believing in astrology and he was going to debunk astrology and he ended up believing in it and writing a book about it and saying that there were just too many coincidences and that his coincidence closet was full. And I huh. really, I latched onto that. I think I was, you know, maybe 14 when I read that. Oh, I just latched onto that term. I love that term, the coincidence closet. Ah, and therefore I, we got the cleaning the coincidence project called closet, coincidence right. closet. Cleaning it out, you know, I mean, you said exploring it. Yes, I'm exploring it while I'm cleaning it out. Yeah, because yeah, at yeah. one point when I started writing the book, you know, I thought, I had been thinking about a number of coincidences and the things that had happened in my life. And, and I thought, well, gosh, that's enough to write a book about. And so I started listing them and I just, the list just got longer and longer and longer. And. Uh, well, you've answered the for a question from a 14 year old who loved a phrase, cleaning <laughs> the coincidence closet. Uh, that, and now I have the answer to that. And what we've come down to is a subset of coincidences, not only, but primarily with Denise Thompson Slaughter of precognition. Uh, and that's where we're gonna, that's where we'll end uh, for today uh, on the precognitive note. And I thank you very much for, for being on the show with me, Denise. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it too. This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.